Hello and welcome to Climate Change Unfolding. I hope you're doing well wherever you're listening around the world. I just checked the date of my last podcast and I'm not quite sure how so many months have passed. <laughs> it's like 2020 is a bit of a time distorter, like March felt like the longest month in history and then they seem to be passing like weeks since then. <laughs> but my lack of podcasting is not for lack of attention on climate, actually. I've still been going with the conservation work, which I've, um, I'm kind of stepping back from a little bit now. I've handed that over and trained up some other managers to run that now and Actually, when I'm busiest, especially when I'm working on environmental projects, I find it hard to force the time into my calendar for a podcast, you know. <laughs> Less talk, more action, right? <laughs> so I left the podcast last time all fired up about a sustainable fuel project and things are coming on nicely with that. There's an exciting intersection there between climate action and poverty alleviation and, and public health benefit. And that project falls right into that. And so I'm quite excited about that, but I'm just going to try not talk about that now because I'm planning to do a follow-up episode on that project once it's properly set up and onto its next stage. And today I wanted to talk about a random collection of environmental interventions that I've implemented in my own life and actually found to be better for me, even without the environmental side of things. Better for me, better for the planet. And so I really feel like these things need talking about because, partly, because who wouldn't want to implement something that's better for them and better for the environment but also I think it's really helpful to undermine this myth that all environmental action is about personal sacrifice for the collective good you know that's a really destructive myth that really seriously inhibits action we need to tell stories of the actions that really make our lives better and things that make sense even without their environmental benefit your spouse or your friend that couldn't give a monkeys about climate should be convincible to take up some of these changes we need system change. But the world can't truly change until enough people start making changes to their habits and actions and demanding change with our voice and, and with our actions. And uh, my change, tiny though it might be, helps collectively haul the world in a direction of positive change and opens the door for people around me to follow my footsteps. Perhaps even more important is I've found the the more steps I've taken over the years has actually helped my happiness and well-being too. And, you know, my ongoing and my past environmental impact is something that's really kind of jarring for me. You know, I'm living one way, but I believe something else. It's like I'm living with this hypocrisy. And I, I don't know if you feel it, um, but I feel like a sinking feeling sometimes when I'm making poor environmental choices. It takes up a lot of emotional energy and it kind of... To a certain extent, it saps my vitality, my enjoyment of whatever I'm doing sometimes as well. But here's the kicker, you know, the closer I get to living in line with my values, the freer and happier I'm finding myself and the more self-worth and integrity I feel as well, living in line with my values, you know. And so that's just a bit of backdrop, really, and, and some, some thoughts, general thoughts about the topic. But there's a few topics I'm probably going to talk a bit longer about and then uh, and I'm going to rattle through a bunch at the end. I think there's got 15 things in front of me here. So some easy changes I've made that have been both better for me and better for the environment. Here we go. Number one is about web hosting. Many people don't really think of web hosting as having a carbon footprint, but there are a lot of computers whirring and energy needed, as well as the operational footprint of the company you purchase off. So it's not a huge thing, but when I was setting up the climate change unfolding website, I was fishing around from where to host it, and a friend mentioned Green Geeks, and given the topic of the podcast, I thought I'd check them out. And so Green Geeks is a web hosting service that offset 300% of their emissions. 
so the site isn't a huge emitter, but your um, your site will be carbon negative. So that's a win. But you know that's not enough to justify talking about it on its own. The price is also a total win too. And so three years at two dollars ninety five a month. You know that's thirty five dollars a a year, and that's outrageously cheap. <laughs> you know after three years it jumps to nine ninety five a month. So $120, but you can cancel at that point if you want. But even then, it's still competitive or better than any service I've ever had and, and all of the companies and websites I've used in the past. And so um, it gets even better when you look at what you get for your money. And so I, I'm not really, uh, like I worked on websites, but I'm no website guru. So, it, you know, it seemed too good to be true. And I wanted to make sure what I was getting was decent and there wasn't a catch. So I got a friend of mine to look over what they delivered and he's a web designer and he really knows his stuff. And he, he looked through the credentials and, the, and what they're offering and, and, you know, green credentials aside, he was impressed with the price and the overall value and said, basically, you're not going to get a better deal anywhere. And so I set it up for climate change unfolding and it was cheaper and greener. Then it got even better. Another of my website hosting was due to expire and it was going to be pretty expensive and and I thought it was way more expensive than Green Geek. So I'm just going to, rather than renew, I'm going to transfer over to Green Geek. So I went to change that over expecting to pay the $2.95 um, a month again for that website too. But I realized I could have multiple sites on a single $2.95 account. So instead of paying 140 bucks for the uh, renewal, my company i i added it to my 35 dollar package for free and then i did the same with another hosting for another two companies i ran and and saved me another 160 dollars a year and then i added my wife's photography website also for free and saved 150 dollars she was paying too and i've added other sites as well now and so and i get all the staff email accounts associated with this sites for free and i've had to pay for them on one of my hosting accounts and I think I have six sites on there now, and instead of paying five different companies well over 500 bucks a year, I'm, I'm paying $35 a year, and that, that's pretty outrageous saving, especially with the green credentials, and so they helped me with the transfer and the sites over. The customer service was good and, and way better than I'd had on some places, so, so we're on what? A win 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 right now and I was telling this to a friend who's you know who's having headaches with his hosting and terrible customer service and he was laughing at me saying it's saying like I sound like a a sales rep for the company <laughs> and anyway and then he signed up for them and pointed out to me that there's a referral service and since I'm basically telling anyone who'll listen that to switch to green geeks when they talk about this that um you know I should get on myself on the referral program <laughs> so I did and uh, and now they're gonna pay, they pay out 50 bucks per new account or even up to 100 bucks if there's I think it's five a month or something so you know so it sounds like now I'm I'm just laying it on thick to get you to <laughs> transfer over to Green Geeks but I'm actually going to make it a win 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 for all you lovely people so if anyone uses the link if they do need web hosting and use the link I'll donate the money that I get directly to some kind of climate change um, or conservation project if I have something going at the time I'll donate it towards that we had the fundraiser for the trees and bees a while ago through the podcast on episode nine and some other things that we've got going as well but if there isn't anything going on i'll buy carbon offsets and i'll send you the receipt <laughs> so if you basically if you send me an email at sam at climate com or you find me on twitter at sam james ward once you've uh, once you've signed up and i've got the referral cash sent over to me i'll, I'll send you a receipt for whatever i used it for so you're going to get this like you know if 10 of you uh, change over at some point you're collectively going to save yourself well over a thousand dollars based on what you're doing and we get to give at least 500 bucks to a some sort of climate change charity as well <laughs> so let's do this i got i don't know how many wins we're on now but that's about eight 
<laughs> but we can do some serious wins there. So if you don't have a website, send the link uh, to someone who does, and uh, and I'll send you the receipt once uh, once the money comes through. Number two, I want to talk about sugar. WWF. That's the wildlife, not the wrestling foundation. <laughs> um, had a report that shows sugar may be, is responsible for more biodiversity loss than any other crop. And that's due to destruction of habitat, to make way for the plantations, and also because of its intensive use of water for irrigation. And it's, it's heavy on agrochemicals and it polluted wastewater um, that's discharged through the production process. As an example of the destruction it caused, the water around the Great Barrier Reef, um, one of nature's greatest spectacles, suffers from large quantities of affluence, pesticides, sediment from the nearby sugar farms. And the reef itself was threatened by clearing of land, which has destroyed the wetlands, which are an integral part of the reef's ecology. You know, it's all interacting. But also another example, like much closer to home, I live in Uganda and there's the beautiful Bugomo forest. Um, it's a rainforest that's just been given away in a concession to produce a huge sugar factory. You know, it's majestic forest, some of the limited remaining primary forest in Uganda and there's chimps and um, all sorts of primates and incredible biodiversity. And actually there's a, this is a slight side note, but there is a petition and a campaign and a website running at the moment. So if you want to add your voice to that, it's called Save Bogoma Forest, um, B-U-G-O-M-A, bogomaforest.org. Um, I'll leave a link in the um, the show notes, so climatechangeunfolding.com slash episode 22. Um, that's important, but slightly off point. The point I'm trying to make is sugar is brutal for biodiversity, but that's not the end of it. Get this. How many litres of water do you think you need to produce one kilo of refined sugar? Have a guess now. <laughs> it's 1,770 litres, 467 gallons of water per kilo of sugar. <laughs> That's crazy. This that works out as nine gallons per teaspoon, by the way. <laughs> so if you have three sugars, that's twenty-seven gallons of water it took to make that, and that's insane. And it, but it's not just the water and the biodiversity, but heating and refining the sugar's high carbon footprint, and it gets wrapped in plastic and shipped all over the world. Um, and it's in some of the most heavily processed food too is full of sugar. So um, so high carbon footprint for those as well. So yeah, sugar pretty much sucks for the environment. Um, and I didn't know how much until I really started reading in. But but it also, as we all know, it kind of sucks for our bodies too. You know, everyone basically knows how bad processed sugar is for you. But I think it's probably, especially recent research, shown that it's actually worse than we thought. You know, I'll skip over the details, but linked to obesity, heart disease, diabetes, and a bunch of other negative health things too, apart from the general well-being. Yeah, you get a quick sugar rush, but then afterwards, you, you know, your brain function and your physical function drops as well. And there's a reason that performing athletes stay well away from processed sugar. So it's bad for the environment, it's bad for biodiversity, and it's bad for you. But, you know, we all know smoking's bad, but plenty of people do it anyways. <laughs> and with sugar, it's just so damn tasty, you know. <laughs> We're hardwired to find that sweetness attractive. We, we can't, you know, willpower and sacrifice our way through this, not through sugar and not through climate change action either. I think, you know, I want that cookie so bad, but I can't have it because of the stupid environment, you know. No, that's not really going to work. And that's the same reason that most diets for most people fail. So what's the solution? Here's my intervention here is replace sugar with honey. Honey is sweet and it's yummy and especially good quality is just so delicious, you know. Is it really much of a sacrifice to have honey in your tea versus sugar? 
if anything is better it tastes better to me at least you know recipes can be substituted easily enough sometimes with minor tweaks so wherever you're going to use sugar just use honey instead and it actually has real uh, documented health benefits compared to sugar as well you know it's actually amazing it's known to have antioxidant antibacterial antiviral and anti-allergic properties which is pretty wild <laughs> you know and it's um r- really importantly it's much lower in triglycerides which are the part of sugar that's known to increase your chances of heart disease and other negative effects so anyways <laughs> if i speak this long on every 15 <laughs> it's going to be a well long podcast so um, but if you want extra motivation i also found an article which i'll leave a link to as well 16 health reasons to switch from sugar to honey i'll put a link in the show notes as well I do need to talk a bit about the credentials of honey uh, beyond the personal health benefits. You know, bees are literally one of the most important category of species on the entire planet. You know, a world without them would look very different and a lot harder to live in. You know, they pollinate a sixth of of all flowering plants on Earth. And I also read that 84% of agricultural crops and um, in the EU and over 400 different types of agricultural crops worldwide relied on bees and insects for pollination. It's pretty wild, you know, and especially because they're dying out. And crops aren't uh, just about our food either. They're also the natural base for many medicines and clothes. Even construction materials come from plants and trees pollinated by bees, you know. (laughs) So we're talking about the future of our forests, our grasslands and our crops, our food and our medicine and our clothes. (laughs) You know, we need these bees seriously. Insecticides, land use, loss of habitat, disease, you know, it's often spread um by the way industrial scale poor practice beekeeping as well so that's a final thing to to say about that you know we increase the market for honey and increases the incentive for people to keep more bees um but it's a little bit more borderline when if it's low-grade uh, industrial honey uh, there's a thing about organic honey which actually makes it kind of complicated because it's hard to guarantee that the honey bees are foraging uh, only on organic managed habitat so basically in the uk for example they don't even certify honey as organic so um sometimes if you buy organic honey in the uk it means it's imported which isn't that great for the environment either so but you, the thing you want to look out for is balanced beekeeping that's something i worked out for a while if you if you look for the term balanced beekeeping and that means basically they're um balancing the welfare of the bees uh, you know with the bottom line and and balanced beekeeping is uh, is much much friendlier for the bees Find a producer, do it right. Buy it in bulk from them. Honey lasts forever. It's the only natural substance that doesn't go off. It'll cost a bit more, um, not much more, but it'll cost a bit more. Um, but it costs a lot less than type 2 diabetes <laughs> and heart disease. And, you know, and definitely less than the collapse of our forest, grasslands, oceans and crops. So, you know, <laughs> I'm still counting this as a win, 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 win. Next one, number three. While I'm on bees... There are some other things that we can do for bees that are super helpful, like not using pesticides and allowing wildflowers in the trees in your garden, for example, which brings me pretty seamlessly onto my next intervention on the subject of rewilding and our ridiculous, devastating cultural behaviour of slaving over monoculture grass lawns. (laughs) I'm going to try and avoid getting in full rant mode, but I'm not promising anything. (laughs) Uh, We're... We give you a backstory. We're also sucked into the culture, the status quo, the social norms. It's very hard for us to see things from what they actually are. You know, I call it base principles thinking. You know, manicured lawns and the white picket fence. It's a status symbol. And the more we think about this, the more we read up on it, the more we realise how little we use this particular subject on on base principles. And so, 
I'm going to burst this bubble and share a few of my revelations which blew my mind. So a bit of a history of the Lord, you know, it started in the 16th century English and French castles and you, you know, you can't very well in the 16th century, you know, let the enemy creep up on you hidden in the trees so they cleared the natural habitat and kept it short enough so nobody could sneak up on them. Fair enough, you know, then it came um, slowly became associated with castles and aristocracy and later 17th and 18th century being able to have a manicured lawn and basically being able to afford to pay people to do a ridiculous amount of work that it takes to upkeep a lawn it was a, it became a sign of wealth also being rich enough to afford to not have to grow food on your land it also sh so basically having a grass lawn started to become a way of showing how rich and important you were and then the wealthier middle class people started to realize that and emulate it and to prove that they too were wealthy and worthy of upper class status you know and so the bigger and more manicured your lawn was the richer you appeared because you know how could a middle class person waste all that land and waste all that money <laughs> so enter the 20th century and capitalism gets involved and works its magic you know and then a whole host of industries get rich from this lawn maintenance lawn mowers tools um you know of course because the soil is depleted uh, fertilizers you know and these Companies have, in a very powerful and effective way, shaped the cultural perception of a manicured lawn and middle-class status. And, you know, the classic picket fence and careful lawn, you know, and the connection between the lawn and the judgment of your community, you know, that's all carefully crafted by capitalism. <laughs> and fun fact here, by the way, is this is something I found out only um, through this research, is that clovers used to be very desirable in a lawn. They're a nitrogen fixer, so it's great for the soil and it and it used to be a status symbol to have a lawn filled with clovers. But then it turned out that, uh, that some of the herbicides that big agribusiness had designed to sell killed clovers and as an accidental side effect. So <laughs> rather than redesign or, you know, get a less damaging uh, chemical product, they went on a big marketing push to rebrand clovers as a weed <laughs> and, and make sure that most desirable lawns in our culture were strictly clover free. And it worked. We complied like good citizens that we are, millions of us now buy products that kill clovers. In fact, many people even buy herbicides specifically to kill the clovers. <laughs> then there's time. Oh my goodness, time. As I'm a teenager, my dad used to give me like five quid, five pounds to mow the whole garden. <laughs> this rural, steep-sided Welsh hillside. and It's about an acre with a, you know, hand-push mower. And it used to take me a whole day. And I was thinking about that and I did some research you know, and what I found out blew my mind get this right in the United States alone 3 billion man hours are spent every year mowing lawns 3 billion hours and just for some context Wikipedia in its entire crowdsourced history every contribution that has ever been made has been pegged at 100 million man hours <laughs> one thirtieth of the time that the US spends each year cutting lawns i mean that's just one country of, of all of them i mean literally the reason why it became a status symbol 200 years ago because there's such a pain in the ass and such a lot of work <laughs> time is our most valuable resource but also money matters to everyone and uh, the average american household apparently also spends 1200 dollars a year on lawn maintenance and they either pay a lot to have someone else do it or they spend hundreds of hours a year cutting their grass and just think what you could do with that time or money hundreds of hours practical daytime hours you know you could literally go on an extra holiday each year <laughs> take up a new hobby spend that time with your kids 
I mean, it's it's 2020, for goodness sake. You know, we're in a climate crisis. It's probably worth questioning whether each of us should be spending hundreds of hours a year walking up and down with a fossil fuel powered mower, killing the wildflowers, driving forwards the biodiversity collapse <laughs> and helping consolidate the extinction of bee populations, you know. But anyway, I always get laughed at for if I go on a rant about lawns. But, you know, it, it should be also asked why why everyone thinks my take on lawns is such an extreme one. <laughs> so my question to you and to ourselves that we have to ask ourselves is, can we reduce the size of our lawns? You know, can we plant some fruit trees maybe? Can we let some bushes grow? Or even, you know, cordon off a section of your garden and let nature do its thing, a bit of rewilding. It's great for biodiversity, obviously, but it also sucks lots of carbon out of the uh, atmosphere as the ecosystem recovers. Something else to consider is when culture catches up with our current predicament and the status symbol of the 21st century might actually transition to being doing your part for biodiversity and, you know, allowing a bit of rewilding or trees in your garden. And it might just come full circle in terms of status. (laughs) So let's be leaders. Let's be the change we want to see in the world. Anyway, I already did an episode on rewilding, so I'm kind of doubling up here. But I did actually get some really interesting feedback from the last one, uh, some challenges and some interesting practical suggestions um, to address the hurdles. And I'm probably not going to do another podcast on it, so l- let me at least slot them in in now. And then I promise the last last lot of thing, I'm just going to reel off these solutions towards the end and talk less on it. But um, so yes, I understand golf courses, football pitches, a place to sit on the grass, to have a picnic in your garden we don't want to get rid of lawns altogether you know and actually the most common thing that i got in emails which is hilarious is dog poos if my grass gets long i can't see my dog where my dog has pooed you know and so forest or whatever can't work for everything everywhere what i'm suggesting is take an intentional honest look at which part of our landscape or our gardens you know whatever's within our control can be allowed to rewild and done right it'll fill parts of your garden with the joy of the natural world you know and so a common objection is letting things go wild makes it basically look like you don't care like you're a bit negligent (laughs) some kind of failed human being there's a lot of social judgment and it gets you in trouble with your neighbors with the weeds and whatever you know so-called weeds they're just different type of plants that's just a label we've given them but anyway here are some um but there's a couple of solutions to that Uh, you know one is if you if you have a couple of manicured paths that go through your garden it makes you look like rewilding little islands and it it makes the wild areas look more powerful and, and stand out. And it um, shows that you're cultivating intentionally rather than just being neglectful. <laughs> you know, tiny lawns and paths are way less work and allows you to easily enjoy and appreciate the magic of the wilding going on as well. So if you just had a, a thick forest, you know, or, or bush for your whole garden, you wouldn't be able to enjoy it. So so these little areas and spaces are really important and not uh, undermining that. And so... You know, another person put little wooden signs labeling all the species they found in their little rewilding area. It was just three meter square area of their garden and they, you know, got all of these different species and they made a little sign. And so that was something they did with their kids, which I thought that was really cool. It was kind of educational like activity. And um, anyway, final thing on this actually is an email I got um, from a lady called Narina Wheeler. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Sorry, Norina, if not, um, from Germany. She said uh, she'd heard the episode on rewilding and got inspired to do just that. And she has a small farm outside Berlin and and has let a lot more wild back in. And she um, says she's totally been rewarded by all the magical nature that's made its way back onto a farm. And it really brings her a lot of joy now. So, you know, flowers, insects, birds, bats, 
it's brought a lot of joy and, and that actually brings me a lot of joy too you know that makes me so happy you know the thought that people are going through their own environmental journey somewhere else in the world find the podcast somehow you know and end up taking some kind of action because of it and that's literally you know why I do the podcast and uh, and I don't have any commercial gain from it you know um but it makes me very happy so thanks Narina for what you've done and for sharing with me and thanks for everyone else who's who's sent me similar things over the years so keep them coming fuels my fire <laughs> Jumping to the next suggestion and the final one on rewilding, Noreena also said she went um, beyond her own land and is pushing the council to change their practice of obsessively cutting the vergers, which is um, a good additional suggestion here for something, you know, win-win with no negative effect on you or, you know, arguably if your council doesn't spend millions each year on pesticides and, and chopping vergers, then there's more money for the public well-being as well. But billions of dollars are spent relentlessly poisoning public spaces. All of the things I just talked about pollutes waterways, carbon capture, kills bees, biodiversity, you know, and they're using public funds for it. You know, we're in a climate emergency and they're using public funds to do all of those things. And, you know, imagine what we could be doing with all that money if it was rediverted, you know. Um, so, this suggestion is to ask yourself what institutions or organizations or places of work or associations are you involved with. Um, where you have some kind of say over the public spaces or the, the spaces that it has. You know, are there places where a company could save money right now? They're cutting their big lawn. They could rewild it or um, plant a bunch of trees and put it on their CSR statement, you know, and save a bunch of money at the same time. You know, hand them the win-win on the plate and, uh, you know, save money and the environment. And who's going to say no to that? Okay, next one, number five. Replace Google with Ecosia. Back to technology. Let's talk big tech a moment. Away from gardens. It is creepy how much information Google stores on you and the way they use it also. They want to know as much as possible about your life. They store as much of it as they can. And they're pretty open about that fact. And that they sell it for profit. You're the product. If you use Google, you are the product. You know, they're very good at using your data also to manipulate you, you know, affecting your behavior, making you buy things like, you know, political ads, your outlook on life, you know, um, without people really knowing what they're doing. You know, that's literally why they're such big, valuable companies. Um, if they couldn't get people to act, they wouldn't be valuable. <laughs> You know, it's not just about sending a few ads. Watch it if you if you if you want to find out more about that. Watch some Netflix documentary. There's the social dilemma or the great hack. I mean, we should all watch those documentaries <laughs> to see what's really going on in big tech now. And this stuff is crazy, but thankfully there's another choice. And Ecosia is a search engine that does not mine or sell your data, and it uses all its profits to plant trees underlining in the pockets of millionaires. You know, on average, every 45 searches they plant a tree so i think one of the only things they do gather is the number of searches you do and that's only to show you a tally of how many trees you've directly planted by switching to accusia <laughs> it's so good actually having that search engine that does exactly the same as what google does but there's a tally in the corner of the screen that just shows you how many trees i've got like 1300 searches and you know 25 trees it's been no negative impact to me and it's nice to know that google aren't just doing creepy weird things with my data so stop whatever you're doing right now on your phone your computer go to your browser go to the settings and change the default search engine so if you search in the toolbar at the top it'll do the same job but instead of giving all those searches to google and do their big brother weird creepy thing 
Ecosia deletes your data and plants trees. I mean, change your home page on your web browser, on your computer, change your default search engine. You don't even need to do anything after that five minute change. And over time, you'll be planting more and more trees. Number six, Lifestore water bottle. Saves me money, increases in convenience and good for environment. It's basically a good quality water filter built into a hard plastic bottle and you can fill it up anywhere with any water pretty much taps from a river lake wherever cloudy Nile water is what I use you know and there's loads of different types but the lifestyle ones are legit you know I don't know about all the different other brands I know um, I did a bit of research when I first but those are the ones I've used and I use them for me and for my clients and um, my guides as well and so I can leave a link in the show notes but I mean the basic gist of it is the same for whichever these you use and the only big regret I had is not discovering these earlier how many thousands of dollars in bottles I could have saved I lived on an island on the Nile for like I don't know how many years and on and off you know and and almost exclusively drank bottled water you know and it's not that I particularly wanted to and I knew it was a waste of plastic at the time but it was that or um you know tropical waterborne disease water (laughs) but now outside the house I use it for everything conferences meetings buses trains planes you know planes are the worst you have to buy another plastic bottle the other side of each security gate or they give those stupid tiny little plastic cups with like two mouthfuls of water and then a new one each time you want more water so you buy a bottle once you fill it up anywhere it's enough filter water for five years worth of drinking happy days liberation from plastic bottles number seven i stopped burning organic waste I grew up in rural Wales and having bonfires in my garden was just like standard thing to do. You know, everything that was left over, leaves, sticks, hedge cuttings, whatever, you know, standard. You know, another thing that I just accepted because that's what everyone does. But if you think about it from first principles again, simple logic instead of cultural norms, what we're essentially doing is releasing a whole bunch of captured carbon back into the atmosphere instead of putting it back into our soil. So I'm depriving my soil from essential nutrients and undermining a really undervalued part of the ecosystem. Get this, one-fifth of all animals on Earth eat dead wood. (laughs) One-fifth. You know, and and we all know how interconnected an ecosystem is. You don't just remove one part of an ecosystem without weakening the whole thing. You know, birds eat the bugs that eat the woods. Trees rely on an underground fungal network in all sorts of wonderful ways. Um, earthworms eat organic matter and, you know, they're critical for plant growth. You know, the list goes on. So in terms of carbon, if we let organic material decompose, some of that carbon is released in the process of decomposition, but plenty remains and ends up captured in the soil as hummus. And that process of decomposition is also really critical for the soil. If you let it decompose, you won't have to bother collecting it. So you'll save time too. But if it looks too messy, bundle it up, pile it in the corner of your garden, somewhere discreet, and let nature do its thing there. And you can distribute the soil afterwards. But it's a total win-win. It's better for the soil, less work, better for the environment. Number eight. I think pretty much everyone listening to the podcast knows it's generally better for the environment to eat more plants and less animals. But giving up meat is kind of hard for some people. So that's not my suggested intervention here. I mean, that's great if you can do it. Um, But my suggestion here is, at the very least, replace beef with fish or chicken. Eating less red meat has numerous well-documented health benefits. And fish especially has some real benefits. You know, omega-3 fatty acids are essential for the brain and plenty of studies linking them with learning and memory function and development of children's brains and all that sort of thing. So it's surprisingly 
powerful intervention for climate too, you know, for such a seemingly small change. Um, you know, one extensive US study showed that for the average American, this single intervention would cut someone's personal footprint in half, <laughs> just changing beef to chicken. You know, that's just crazy. It obviously, depends on your current choices and country as well, because not everyone has such terrible farming practices where beef is quite that bad but generally chicken has one tenth the footprint of, of the same amount of beef and fish is even less but obviously don't buy fish that has been flown from halfway around the world <laughs> and be under the illusion you're saving the environment by doing so but the power of dropping your personal footprint by half by swapping a, a beef burger for a chicken burger makes it worth noting number nine clicktivism we need system change. And we can't all be designing and leading campaigns to encourage that big system change. And we sadly, we don't have the power to, to just change things. Um, but one thing we can do for free is get behind those inspirational people that are. So add numbers to that advocacy. Uh, you can do that through social media and shares and retweets and whatever. But also clicktivism, which is a fun term, is basically signing up a bunch of online newsletters and adding a name to all the petitions that come through. You know, it's free and it's easy and it's supporting critical um, system change work, which is essential to our future. Some of them are localized and send your hometown, um, you know, things that are much more localized to you. And so so I've got a few quick suggestions, but I actually want to make this interactive. I'd love you to, to feedback on the you know, things that I've missed, because I'm sure I have. I'm sure there are better ways of accessing these. But all of these I have newsletters from and uh, and sign petitions for occasionally when they come through to my um, inbox. So Friends of the Earth, 350.org, The Leap, Fridays for Future, Extinction Rebellion, Avaz, and change.org are generic fundraising and, and petition places, but you can uh, but you can sort of categorize where you what you're interested in hearing from. But um, yeah, if you have some suggestions, send them to me at, at Sam James Ward on Twitter or Sam at Ch- uh, climatechangeunfolding.com, and I'll add them to the notes on the on climatechangeunfolding.com episode 22. So there's a kind of resource there for anyone listening that they can sort of click on and find the different newsletters, and I'll add them. To me as well so that would be that would be really nice if i can uh, you know so if i find out about things that i don't know about there number 10 let me rattle off some really quickly and some of these are really easy and obvious so i'm not gonna um, go into much detail if you fill a kettle with only what you need you save energy you save money and you save time heating water is very energy intensive and so it's more worthwhile than some basic sort of like household interventions and so just use the pan or the mug or whatever you need you know the water in to pour the right amount of water in the kettle switch it on takes less time less money jobs are good number 11 back to tech amazon smile now i almost didn't include this because amazon dot com you know the company are not not exactly climate champions you know they're, they're a huge footprint and a big corporation and and i'm not really sure jeff, jeff bezos needs extra money <laughs> in fact i'm sure about that so let me make it very clear i'm not advocating to increase your amazon use but if you are an amazon user and you are going to order something from amazon use amazon smile instead so instead of using amazon.com use smile.amazon.com it's identical cost to you identical website function but 0.5 of a percent of the money goes to a charity of your choice. It's easy to set up, just 
selected go to environmental charity and then everything in your account from there forwards that you spend so long as you use it through that website smile.amazon instead of the normal one it'll uh, give a portion of your money to the chosen charity so it's only a small amount like five dollars of every thousand that you spend so don't let it be a substitute for genuine support of environmental charities or excuse to buy things with a high, high carbon footprint. <laughs> I mean, don't get sucked into Amazon's, you know, um, buying more from Amazon. You know, that's basically part of their algorithm, literally why they're doing this. <laughs> but it makes perfect sense to slice off a small amount from Jeff Bodas's bonus to, uh, to give to a climate change charity. Number 13. Reusable wipes, especially for parents. This is such an easy intervention and reduce waste a lot. Take any old clothes that you have, old fleeces, clothes, thin towels or whatever really, anything at the end of its life, cut it into small squares and keep stacks of them around the house or car or wherever. And anything use wet wipes or paper napkins, tissues, um, use them instead and throw them in a bucket and add them to your clothes wipes. You know, they're so small, they barely make a difference to the volume of your washing. But over time, the amount of wipes and waste you produce is huge as a parent, you know, especially useful to always have a ton of these wipes all around the house is convenient more than you could ever imagine if you're not a parent. <laughs> 14. Food and environment. I've mentioned a couple of things on this, but I think uh, it can be so confusing weighing it all up, you know, health versus climate versus like cost versus like yumminess <laughs> if that's even a word you know versus single-use plastic and palm oil and footprint of the transport versus footprint of the food itself versus you know the animal welfare it's like ah you know first time back in a uk supermarket in a couple of years and i had a complete brain meltdown looking at like 20 different types of eggs in a supermarket <laughs> i mean what is a barn egg anyway you know what's this pretty you know green eco label are they just greenwashing me to charge me twice the money or you know they just slapped this on as a marketing thing or <laughs> anyway let me give you one single outrageously simple question that i've distilled this to down to that will capture good environmental food choices and at the same time be dramatically better for your health so this is like a win-win single simplified question for food and the, and the question is the golden question that i ask myself how close is this food to its natural state you know, let's not overcomplicate this. Hold the food in front of you. How close is it to its natural state? If I don't know how it was made or what it was made of, it's probably worse for me and worse for the environment than than if I do know. You know, processed foods are much, much worse for the environment. You know, fresh strawberries versus a McDonald's strawberry milkshake. <laughs> you know, and then you can also consider the geographical proximity when you ask the question, how close is this food to its natural state? You know, and the natural state when it was growing and healthy and wherever it was in the field or wherever is clearly better for your environment if you if you buy local but it's also um with vegetables for example better for um typically for you nutrient wise if you uh, buy things that have ripened on the vine you know ripening bananas in uganda taste a million times better than uk bananas which basically taste like cardboard to me now <laughs> they're yellow you pick them off the tree and then you eat them you know the same question you can even think to, to packaging. How close is this food to its natural state? An apple is much closer to its natural state than a sliced apple wrapped in plastic, for example. <laughs> so as one simple question, increase your well-being, vitality, health, energy, longevity, you know, reduces risk to cancer, heart disease, obesity, diabetes, you know, n you name it, it's captured in that one little simplified in intervention. 
you know, and obviously maximising our chance of having a livable planet, you know, in coming decades. That minor issue. 15. Ethical investing. I've spent most of my career in either self-employed or running my own businesses and I have no formal pension, but I've been putting some money away into long-term saving for a, a while instead, you know, and the money is being managed in an investment platform by a financial advisor. And a few years ago, part of my environmental overhaul and off the back of 350.org's push for uh, people to divest from fossil fuels, you know, I pressed my financial uh, advisor to make sure that it was fossil fuel free and ethical investing, which goes beyond environmental concerns and covers all sorts of generally decent human things like not supporting arms trading or child labor and you know basically excluding all the really evil folks <laughs> and only investing in a subset of the entire possible market and the common thought would be because you're only selecting potential investments from a certain subset you stand to compromise financially because if in a perfect world you could choose from anything then you would choose the best financial funds but my financial advisor explained that sort of risk and I pushed him to do it anyway and explain I you know I want my values to be aligned with my actions even if it compromises a little bit of the finances you know but actually in my head even at the time I thought there was a lethargy in the market it's like people wake up to climate change which is you know ultimately inevitable fossil fuel f- companies value is based on assets that fundamentally need to go out of business oh my kids trying to record a podcast when you're in covid uh, working from home with a toddler in a very small house <laughs> uh, i'm gonna have to stop i'll come back okay back in the game toddler crisis dealt with <laughs> with the backdrop of my financial advisors like caution you know i pushed ed anyway and he set up a fund portfolio that's ethical only and now he also offers that fund to his other clients too, which is quite cool. And so um, that's all good. But here comes the best bit, the win-win part. You know, over the last three years, especially this year, ethical funds have consistently outperformed the market. And this ethical fund has outperformed all of his others by at least a few percent a year in every year that it's been operational. And now <laughs> even the evil money only people are waking up to the fact that they have to invest ethically to maximize their profits. <laughs> And a number of other clients have switched too now. And so, and making more money by not funding fossil fuels, not funding child trafficking and arms dealers and child labor. Who who doesn't want that? That's awesome. <laughs> so with the, with the crash of the market that's happened in early 2020, my fund uh, compared to a 40% drop in the overall market in that period where we had that massive crash, it dropped only 10%. You know, and partly because it's high, the high carbon bits took an absolute pummeling this year. Shell's shares fell by 50%. The airlines too plummeted. But it's, it's bigger than that. It's governments investing now in big green tech, you know, renewable energy. And, um, you know, and people giving this sort of like society that we've looking at a big overhaul and are trending towards ethical investment. So, um the COVID thing has sped up this transition, but get your money out of fossil fuel companies. You'll make more money and you can feel better about yourself about speeding up this transition. So it's, you know, if you're part of a company or an institution or an educational facility as investments, you know, put it to them. 
the argument used to be it's the morally right thing to do and everyone used to say oh but we want to make more money you know they didn't used to say that but they basically you know the resistance was there but now you can go to them and like do you care about money if you don't care about money keep investing in the in the broader market if you care about making more money <laughs> and you can think about your public image you might as well go into an ethical investment. It's, you know, it's a no-brainer and it's actually huge news, but it's not being talked about anywhere near enough. You know. A final note and suggestion to leave with you, uh, which, which also came from an email. A lady called Annette Olson reached out to me after listening to the podcast. And Annette's the founder of an organization called Climate Steps. And I found out about it through the email, but a, a great initiative orientated around simple climate steps individuals can take. So if you're kind of fired up about some of this, but you want some other ideas, um, there's a Facebook group full of other suggestions and supportive online community environment. Um, it's all orientated around things that you can actually get involved with and do. So it's a really um, positive platform. So a Facebook group or a website. I'll leave the link in the show notes, but um, search Climate Steps on Facebook, you'll find it. I just wanted to like leave on a parting thought about my experience of enacting these in my own life. You don't need to do everything at once. It can be overwhelming when you're trying to change to be more environmentally friendly. But actually, the way it turned out in practice for me is that you know what I actually need to do is focus on making things stick. You know, to do that, I have to really appreciate why they make perfect sense for me and what are the benefits and how much you know better I'm and happier I am um, you know how better it makes me feel or um, you know how good it is to be living in line with my values and taking a moment to appreciate that and you know when you do make a positive environmental change in your life that has positive side effects take a moment to really appreciate those if the interventions stick you can always add another one however much time later and um, and just like compounding interest on an ethical investment, you know, the compounding of one change after another will have an amazing impact, you know, and much better than overwhelming yourself and trying to take it all on at once. That's at least how I've uh, experienced change in my own life. Thanks for listening, everyone. And thanks to those who've um, who've told other people about the podcast and shared it on social media. And that all means a lot to me. And I suppose... Um, I hope that at least a couple of those rung true for you. And um, if you are making changes, you know, or if you have something win-win that I really should have thought about and mentioned, let me know about that too. <laughs> you know, something that I could integrate into my own life that's a, that's a win-win intervention. You know, I'll, I'll put it into practice and I'll maybe uh, do a follow-up at, at some point in the future if I get enough of them collected together. So you can reach me on, on Twitter at Sam James Ward or on um, email at sam at climatechangeunfolding.com. And this is Sam Ward, Climate Change Unfolding. I'll see you next time, whenever time and toddlers allow. <laughs>